Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Luke Wyatt. We're going to talk a lot about Vanderbilt's loss to Missouri, but really more than that, um, just how to fix Vanderbilt football long-term. Fascinating conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. Luke is on the guest line. That's presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call. That number six one five eight three zero ninety four fifty eight. Now on to my conversation with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins me on a Monday morning, which is going to be customary. Luke Vanderbilt lost seventeen fourteen in a game to Missouri, where there was a lot of hand wringing by the fans afterwards. I think some. Justified, maybe some not justified. For full disclosure, I don't know how much of the game you got to see. You were visiting our good friend Robbie Caldwell at Clemson where you had a fun weekend. So with all that, thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Well, thank you, Chris. Great to be here again. I uh, I was at Clemson, but uh, their game was 11, so it worked out perfect. We actually got in our vehicles to leave. Um right after kickoff. So I got to listen to the entire game and then watched it on replay uh, actually last night. So I'm uh, up to speed on everything that happened and how it went down and uh, uh, obviously another heartbreaking loss, however, a little different than what the last three have been. And, uh, you know, positives from it, uh, I take a lot of positives from it because I, I didn't think we played particularly well. I felt like A.J., uh, before his concussion, uh, I assume that's what it is, uh, took himself out of the game. It was probably one of his worst performances. So you have to take that into account, um, that the fact that we lost by three to a team that lost to Georgia by four, that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, that, that's one way to look at it for sure. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I'm, in fact, I meant to to go back and I may try to pull some stuff up as you're you're commenting to just talk about preseason expectations and those sorts of things. And cause I think that's kind of where you got to recenter things, but mm-hmm. uh, the fans on my board were not happy. I think they have some, some case there for sure. I think people go in one of two directions. They go with, well, I saw something I didn't like and therefore Clark Lee's not going to succeed or he's not the guy. Or the other direction is Mason left the program in a mess. Uh, there's nothing anybody can do. And so it kind of doesn't matter. I don't think the truth is ever as simple as either one of those. I think right. it can kind of be both. Um, I'll tell you where I had an issue. I don't understand what they're trying to do offensively these days. I thought that Joey Lynch, the first few games of the season, and look, some of that was certainly helped by schedule, but I, I liked the offense he was running. I don't know what they were trying to do. Um, Saturday. I, I didn't understand that, that I don't ever like the call of going shotgun, then try a short run. When you bring Mike Wright back in, I think what he 
had 22 plays and they threw the ball 15 times to get that they were down. But even Mike's one big completion was about a two-yard throw and an 80-yard run, more or less. So I think if you if you bring Mike back in the game, I don't understand why he wasn't more a part of the running game and, and, and some option plays and things like that to take advantage of his strong suit. If you're going to throw the ball, I don't know why you don't bring Ken Seals in at that point. Um, contrary to, to popular myth, Ken did not have a bad fall camp. I thought Ken was their best thrower exiting fall camp, all things considered. Uh, I've just given you a mouthful, but I want to give you a minute to react to all that. No, and, and you know, I, I'm I'm in the same boat with you there. The play calling, to me, okay, I understand that when you bring Mike in, you don't immediately start running because what does Missouri think you're going to do when you bring Mike in? Start running. So, and I and I noticed by watching the game last night, there was the box was full. So it's, again, I, I know Mike's a good runner, but it's hard to run against a full box. And I just felt like they were trying to say, okay, Mike will give short passes. Mike can, you know, we can do some things. I don't understand why you're trying to run. That, that the middle of their defense was their strength. Their defensive line's pretty pretty salty, and uh, you know we just weren't getting anything in the running game. And the 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 fourth down play really disappointing because I thought it was real clunky. I felt like it was just timed poorly. I, I don't know. It just didn't look like it was. Uh, again, it's a confidence thing with those kids. I think. I think when they get to a situation, right now they're in a they're in a situation. I think in a ball game with a team like Missouri, and I, like I said last week, Vanderbilt players think they can play with Missouri. Okay, regardless of what their record is, regardless of how they play. And Saturday, when they, when they wait till something good happens, you get behind fourteen zip. You're playing very poorly. And something good happens, and when something good happens, they say, oh, yeah, we can play with these guys. And I think that's where the program is right now. Something has to happen good to light a to fuse to get them going, so they're always behind the eight ball. They're going to always be behind and trying to catch up. And I think that's what happened to them Saturday. We, You know, the positives you take from it, to me, the second half, we didn't give up a point. Um, yeah, a lot of that was Missouri's doings, but you can say that all day. You can go back and forth on that stuff all day. How many times has it been our doings that we didn't score a point? You know, you have to look at both sides, and I just feel like I agree with you. There was some clunkiness to the offense that I couldn't figure out. Uh, only reason I, I don't know, Ken, I haven't seen Ken Seals practice, but maybe five times this year, and I, you know, I don't know enough. Didn't get to see him enough to know whether Ken is where he should be to be to go into a football game. But, I, you know, I, I agree. If you want to throw it at all, you, you should have given Ken a chance. Defensively, I thought they called a much more aggressive game. I thought it paid off. What did you think on that side? Had to. After the first half, you know, we probably, and I don't know the stats, but we've probably given up more uh, chunk plays than anybody, in, in, if not in the SEC in college football. That's the part I have problem with our defense it's like there's a lot of butt now some of that has to do with the athletic ability of some of the kids some of it has to do with the youth that's in the game at the time but that should be in game uh, you're in game eight that shouldn't happen near as much you're going to have big plays in college football that's the way college football is today but not as many as we give up and i felt like in the second half 
we were probably better than we've been in a while on defense. And I think that's the frustration with it all, Chris. You know, Clark, you can fix one side, and then all of a sudden the other side falls apart. You, it's yeah. like the little boy finger in the dike. What problem do you have this week to fix? Then you have a kicker that's made six or seven in a row, and then all of a sudden he's missed three in a row. And I understand the conditions were horrible for kicking into that wind and all that, but, you know, you make one of those, and you're at least in overtime. Your experience with Vanderbilt football goes back about 50 years uh, to the time you were running balls, and you were part of – I say part of you. You witnessed firsthand that what was it a thirty-three game losing streak in the SEC? I think Vanderbilt now at what twenty-five. I, I the numbers are getting big. Yeah, we have twenty-seven to to Power year. Five losses. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to next year to break that because uh, it was from seventy-six to the middle of nineteen eighty-one that we didn't win a game in conference. Yeah, and well, we it, only played conference games. Yeah, and I don't want you to to rewind a little bit. You know how did how did that situation get to be that bad? How did they get out of it? Was this situation worse than it was at the beginning of all that? Um, you, you and I know stories about the morale and you know how kids were treated by the school and all kinds of things. And I'm sure you know bits of the pieces that I don't know. But as that comes into focus, I mean you you've seen and and heard more. You know, Vanderbilt football than than maybe just about anybody alive in terms of having a front row seat. I'm just sure. interested to hear your take comparing this situation to that one. Did, did Clark inherit a worse situation than it was back then? Um, just your your whys, your why nights, whatever. No, I, I definitely think he did. I, back then, um, 1970. Reason why this I think this happened, and this is getting really into the weeds, but I think people need to understand this, and a lot of a lot of our fans do, older fans like myself. In 75, I believe it was, or 76, Peabody was no longer part. In other words, you couldn't just take your, all your classes at Peabody. And so in 1976, you had to take schools at, quote, Vanderbilt. I'm not smart enough on the academic side to figure out what that meant, but I just know that we stopped getting in some players that we could have gotten in before. Okay, that's the first thing. And that all coincided around 1976. So from 76 to 81, coincidentally, we didn't win a conference game. So the talent level dropped. That was part of that. And then you were in transition in coaches uh, as McIntyre took it over in 79 from Fred Pancoast. And uh, uh, Fred, you know, had some success early, beating Tennessee in Knoxville, uh, having a game that was tied with Steve Sloan when he was here. So, you you know, the mid-70s was actually a pretty good time. But then after those years, and and comparing those years to this year, there's no comparison. The the uh, part of the football program now, or, or two years ago when Clark took it over, it had hit a lowest ebb in my being a part of Vanderbilt football. Let me say it again: the lowest ebb. People don't understand that, but that that has to do with how the kids were treated, how the university treated them. Uh, the coaching situation, the operations, everything was at its lowest. If I had a meter and you're going one through 10, 10 being the worst, it was 10. Probably during that era, I would say it was eight. But most of it had to do with a coaching change and, and player talent. So you're talking about, imagine trying to rebuild. And again, I said something about this last week. 
at Tennessee, look how long it's taken them to finally have a, put a good product on the field and a consistent product. Just four years ago, they were 0-8 in the league. So it, it, there's no magic potion to it. It's just when you get up off the mat, you got to stay up off the mat. you got to keep grinding. you got to make sure that the university is in lockstep with what you're doing. Clark assures me we are. That's all you can go on. Because I ask Clark. I don't mind telling you and telling the whole country. I ask Clark all the time, are you getting what you need? Are they being truthful? Are they being honest with you? Uh, everything you ask for, are you getting it? Luke, I don't have any problems right now. I, I'm, I'm getting every cooperation on every level. So that's all you can do is, is go by that. And I can tell you this, Clark's a perfectionist, and uh, it kills him worse than it does anybody to give away a football game like we did Saturday. That hurts almost as much and maybe more than 55 to 30 or 55 to nothing. Okay, explain the morale issues. I know a lot of it, uh, some of it we probably can't easily talk about on a podcast, but just tell folks what a lot of those kids went through the last few years of the Derek Mason era. And and again, I I want to clarify, I'm I'm not making excuses for where they fall short as a coaching staff. And I, I think you can circle a couple of games. I think this is one that was there for the taking Saturday. I think South Carolina was the same thing. I think to add some coaching gaffes that people were rightfully upset about. But I will tell you just from covering this beat, covering Vanderbilt football and athletics is, is kind of like you're, you're planning for a trip uh, you know, to, to Destin or somewhere. And, mm-hmm. and somehow you, you, 24 hours the next day, um, you know, you're in a, you're in a van in Boise and it's, it's 10 degrees. You're in shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> like, I don't know how I got here. I, I never envisioned this. That was never on the drawing board. I mean, I, I've right. covered so many, you, you know how much stuff I covered. Yeah. Uh, and how big of a nerve I struck over at that school when it started to come out is people started to reach out and talk to me more and say, Hey, this is exactly how messed up this is over here. Um, like if, if, if I could have even broadcast some of the stuff that happened to me, it would have killed my credibility because nobody would have believed it. Um, my, my apologies for the meandering preamble to your answer here, but it's just, is I've seen what it's like and, and we've talked about a lot of stuff, but I, I don't think we could ever talk about all of it because you, you just almost can't remember all of it. It was so dysfunctional. No, and, and that's the thing. You know, if you want me to talk about the morale and all that, when when kids can't even get air conditioning and and the water right to work right, the hot water to work in the showers all the time, stuff like that can't happen. That cannot happen at a Division two school. You know, just the basics they weren't getting. Now again, I'm speaking in past tense. That has nothing to do with now. And, and 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 when Clark got there, he heard all the horror stories and he knew about it. And, you know, you can't worry about the past. We all know that. But that's how low you're taking over a program. And see, here's where people understand. During that time, what's happening? Those kids are talking about how crappy it is. So then they go out and tell their parents. Then it gets on social media. Then it falls down to the high school recruits. So people here, that makes it that much harder to recruit kids to Vanderbilt. They say, man. They don't even get their weight room doesn't have air conditioning or their locker room is hot all the time in the summer. You got to prop the doors open, put fans up up there, you know, things like that that went on. That should never, ever happen at any 
college but that's competitive in sports, especially a Southeastern Conference school, ridiculous. And to allow that to happen, whose door you put that at, to me, you have to start at the university level because they had to know, okay, they will need money over here for air conditioning and athletics. How hard is it to take a walk over there and just walk through the building and see what shambles it was in? Why wasn't that done? So that's where I blame the university. The second part was who's in charge, the athletic directors. And I say directors because it was more than one person. How hard was it for them to say, okay, look, we need help, university. Help us out. We've we've reached a low ebb over here. So that's just the facility standpoint and what those kids went through on a daily basis. And how in the world you ask that of them, and then you're not in their corner on a lot of other issues, social issues and that type of thing that they weren't in their corner on. You know, it, that's how it got to the lowest ebb. How did George McIntyre take what he took and get to a bowl in 82? I mean, it was very slow progress. And I think it's going to be the kind Clark's going to have to make. But what was the key to them getting from where they were, where he came in, they'd lost umpteen games in a row, and then, what is it, four years in there in a bowl? Well, he did the, uh, the old multiplication. First year he went one and ten. Second year he went two and nine. Third year he went four and eight or uh, four and seven. The next year he went eight and three. So he went two improved, doubled his improvement every year. And the way he did it, by the time we got to eighty two, we had twenty six seniors. And back then that was a ton of seniors. Um, people like Norman Jordan, Whit Taylor, Alamo Matthews, Keith Edwards, uh, Rob Monaco, Will Wolford, people. Uh, you had a lot of guys that had played a lot of football and had come really close. George was one of those coaches that was similar to Bobby Johnson. You know, even when Bobby was losing those first years and everybody kind of poked fun at the two wins and all that, we were very competitive in the SEC games for most, for the most part. There wasn't a ton of blowouts. And uh, the other thing that George had uh, that coaches nowadays don't have, we had actually a home field advantage. Back then, there was no – we were the only game in town. There were no Predators, no Titans. So you still had 30,000 Vanderbilt fans at least every game, and a lot of times you sell it out. So he, he had uh, that senior class. If I had to pinpoint get it down to one thing, that having that huge senior class, which, by the way, I hear they're honoring them. I ran into Dave Roberts over the weekend, and they're honoring that class of South Carolina game, the 82 Bowl team. Good. They, that bunch deserves it. It went through a lot. Absolutely. Okay, two things. Um, I think the blueprint should be there for them to get better. Um, now, the, the transfer portal and everything, and I want to ask you how big of a concern that is for just retention, but like, if they can keep these guys coming back, okay, maybe you get – I think Ray Davis has got another year left. You get Patrick Smith back as the backup. Um, you know, you've got A.J. Swan coming back, you would presume, and, and maybe a backup in there somewhere if Ryder Seals don't leave. You've got a pretty decent young receiving core by Vanderbilt standards. you got Will Shepard, Jaden McGowan, who kind of disappeared from the game plan the other day. Uh, you got Skinner and Gamarian Carter have shown some things at times. Um, you'll have a young tight end that I like in Cole Spence. Uh, they'll need some help mm-hmm. there. You got um, several linebacks, Castillo. 
I don't know if Hernandez has got a COVID year. I think he does. Cox has got another year. Ashmore's got another year. Um, you, you got some backups behind them that got some work. Uh, I presume they get Davian Davis back next year. Um, they get Miles Capers, who never played it down this year because injury back. Um, you get Bohr, both Patterson kids back at linebacker. C.J. Taylor would be back. Uh, Ricky Wright would be back. Um, you know, and a number of young defensive backs. They they got a lot of num- young DBs. I mean, w- with the portal, and that's where I want you to go next. Is how big of a concern do you think that is, especially with kids getting paid with NIL? And you know how this works. I mean, sure. schools call up kids, and there, there's all kinds of tampering during the season. If they, I don't know of anything, I'm not accusing anybody. But if they haven't had players tampered with already, I'd be shocked because it happens everywhere. So right. you would think that they would have a little bit of a foundation to build on for the next year or two um, if they can handle that part of things. Yes, I, I think you're exactly right on the portal. I, uh, I'm i making a private list. I'm not going to say I'm on the air, but I make a private list of kids who I think, okay, we can't lose this kid in the portal. I think about that all the time because – like you said, there's tampering, and and we're not and we're not reciprocating. I don't I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think Clark is going and trying to cherry pick someone from somebody else. I don't think so. Maybe after his season's over, he is, but right now I don't think that happens. So you're fighting. You're there. There again, you go into a knife fight, and we're using a toothpick. I'm not blaming Clark. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that's just a you've either got integrity or you don't have integrity. Um, I. I think the portal, and I've, I mentioned this to you privately, in a couple of years, I do think things will be better for a Vanderbilt, a Wake Forest, a Northwestern. And the fact that I think this is going to find its level. I think you're going to put a cap on things, whether it's getting an agent, getting agents for these kids or whatever. I, I don't think you're going to have such a wild, wild west thing in a couple of years. Because if it gets much worse, then there's about – 70 or 80 teams that might as well forget playing at this level of football, not just Vanderbilt. There's a bunch of them that can't compete if it gets any worse than what it is now. Uh, yeah. 70 or 80 might be conservative, but um, exactly. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up because you heard this through your own places. And I heard this through mine. One of the people that's working very closely with Greg Sankey on NIL plans for the league is Daniel Deermeyer. I think yep. the chancellor and the commissioner, from what I hear, have got a really good relationship. I hear the same things. Yeah. So it it, at least Vanderbilt will have a hand, I think, in how that is shaped. Yes. And, and I'm so excited about the relationship that Clark and Deermeyer have. I think that's a healthy, good one, too. And he understands where Clark's having to build from. You know, you it, it's tough to get complaints. And you're the chancellor of a university, and there's someone worrying about football. I don't think he worries about that. I know he hates that we're getting our butts kicked, but I think he understands where we're at. Okay, I'm going to throw you a curveball because I thought, man, I'd love to hear how Luke answers this, and you don't know this is coming, and I think your <laughs> answer is going to be better than mine. I will share with you what I did, but we have a weekly feature the MyPerfectFranchise.net mailbag. That's on Vandy Sports. Um, shameless plug. The $99 you can spend there gets you a year subscription there, and I think it's well worth it. The price has not gone up in 20 years. In fact, it now costs 
The same thing for a monthly subscription to Vandy Sports as it costs you to get a fast food meal. So there's that. But anyway, someone asked me this in the mailbag, and I will share it here. And the screen name that, that asked me this, I'll just read you the question verbatim. It's Doors Alum says, Congratulations, Chris. You've been granted the power to allocate a $1 million donation to athletics-related causes. What would you use it for, e.g. facilities, NIL, scholarships, staff, and the more specific you can be, the better. So with that, I'm going to turn that over to you. I, I gave you my answer that I'll share, but I want to hear how you would have answered it, not knowing what I said. Well, it's interesting you bring that up where I just came from a place who has at least top 10 facilities, if not top five. I, I got an entire entire tour of Clemson University and then an actual, did not just athletics, the entire campus. And uh, Clemson, did. I didn't know this, Coach Caldwell told me this, when he, they first got there years ago, they only had one $1 million donor, which blew my mind. Uh, you know, he explained, he explained it that Clemson is like a farm. You know, so those are all farmers that are their fans. There's not a lot of doctors, lawyers that are Clemson fans. But he said that the first million dollars, the first thing you do, and they were ahead of the game on this, was build players' lounges, something that the player benefits daily. And that make that makes sense to me. You know, the fans want to see all the pretty stuff, but who really needs the first million dollars? Definitely has to go to player-related stuff, not a football office being uh, revamped or an athletic director, uh, a director's office being revamped, but directly to the players. And you should see what they have for those players at Clemson. You know, it's funny. I had a, a coach on this staff um, say the same thing to me a couple years back, uh, that, that that was his number one priority. So I'll be interested to see – what that looks like when everything gets built here in a couple of years. So when you write the check, make sure you tell me how they spend it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that, that won't be coming from me. Um, <laughs> not in this line of work. Um, yeah, so so you got some money left over. What do you do from there? Uh, okay, let's just say you, you've done what you want to do for the players, although a million dollars won't touch what, what you, you're going to do. Um, the second thing would be uh and it was a hundred million by the way, so oh, I thought you said one million i'm I'm sorry, no, so uh, I may have I didn't mean that, yeah, okay, a hundred million well then the next next thing for sure one hundred percent for sure is stadium, 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 stadium. If you're not going to tear it down, you got to start doing the things that Vanderbilt's saying they're going to do, so that's the next thing is the stadium, stadium, stadium the practice for the one thing I, I took from Clemson. First of all, I will tell you this. Vanderbilt does have one part of their um, athletic department that's nicer than Clemson. What would you think that would be? Well, I know what it is because we had this conversation and you told me. But... Oh, I did. I'm... Yeah, the meeting <laughs> right. room. The team, team meeting room at Vanderbilt's better than Clemson. Okay. But at Clemson, everything's just bigger. Better is not necessarily the case because I started looking at things in my mind because the whole time I, Robbie's touring me, we're talking about Vanderbilt, what they could have done, what they should have done. And he's telling me, so, you know, Luke, a lot of this stuff Vanderbilt has, it's just a lot smaller. And yeah. that's true. You know, do we have everything in the weight room that Clemson has? No. Do we have everything in the weight room that can still make a football player division one as strong as an ox and fast as they need to be? Yes, we do. 
It's just not as pretty, not as big, not not as many bells and whistles. You know, this has been said. You you know, and you you knew Malcolm Turner pretty well, I think. I did. He and Tommy Smith as well. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk on you know eight hundred million a billion dollars to facilities improvements. Um, you know, I think the minute they ran him off, uh, that was not going to happen. Is three hundred to four hundred million enough to do? what they need to do. Where do you stand? Because, I mean, look, that, that still gets you a lot. And I, I think you get at some point where a palace is a palace and it's hard to <laughs> to separate what this right. guy's doing from that guy and, you know, what's enough. I, I you know, I, I've heard various takes on this and I'm just guessing what you, I just want to know what yours is. Well, you know, Chris, this is an excellent time to talk about this again because I was just at Clemson and saw everything. And, again, I'm not comparing us to Clemson. They've been in four national championships here lately and won two of them. So you can't compare that. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. And the facilities at, at Clemson, for instance, Robbie was telling me, like they have a locker room, their their practice, their daily locker room, and then their stadium locker room, which is incredibly nice. But they're getting ready to rebuild it. And I'm thinking, okay, there again, comparing that to a Vanderbilt, we haven't even gotten to that step to where the stadium locker room's nice. And they're rebuilding their second one since he's been there. So keeping up with the Joneses at Vanderbilt, like a Clemson's not going to happen. But what you can do is whatever space you have, utilize it. I'm not so sure. And then now the new plan may be making me look like an idiot here. But right now, in those plans, I still don't think we're taking advantage of the space we do have. I think there's other things that we can do to make things nicer and use every inch that we can for the players, again, go back to the players, to have nicer areas. They, there's one other thing that we don't have that, that absolutely would be great for Vanderbilt. They have a thing called 100, I think it's called 100 Yards of Health. And maybe I'm paraphrasing that. And they have these infrared machines you get in that are just kind of like a tanning bed that helps with soft tissue recovery. And I was speaking to their team doctor, and he said, Luke, it'd be like after a game, you know how you're sore for a day or two? Get in that the next morning, the soreness is gone by the middle of the next day. Now, that type of thing is where you put the money in to help players. That's what Vanderbilt needs to do, put the money in uh, ventures like that. So you think, depending on where it's spent, uh, that that their commitment could be adequate? I don't want to put Absolutely. words in your mouth. I'm just curious. 
Absolutely. And I think that three or 400,000, the problem you have there is every day that it's not built, it gets more expensive. Yeah. So the 400,000 may be 600,000 by the time we're done. But here's where I have been told that that immaterial is because whatever difference there is, evidently, and this is what I'm hearing, it's going to be taken care of regardless, whether the funding's there or not. Yeah. From what I have heard, most of the funding is there already. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what this looks like. I don't understand why it's taken so long. I mean, the Titans are talking about a new stadium. I, I think completion on that is is supposed to be maybe even 2025, and it, it you know that hasn't been on the drawing board that long. I guess that's the other thing that frustrates people, and I haven't understood is why is this, this taken so long? You know why they needed the power plant, all those things. Yeah, I, I don't know that either. Um... Like I said, I have someone in my family who's an engineer, and he explained to me some of the things. And he's not a Vanderbilt fan, so he's not going to defend Vanderbilt. But he did in the fact that he said, look, there's so much red tape when you're dealing with stuff at a university. It's so different than you're dealing with stuff, say, the professional stadium. Yeah. Um, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to give you my answer. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, no, that's fine. I'm going to give you my answer that I that I gave, and I, I just presume that facilities would mostly be taken care of. Um, this is what I answered on if I had a hundred million dollars. Number one, ask the coaches directly what they need that they don't have. Uh, number two would be some type of NIL solution. I get that Vandy doesn't want to get into pay for play, and that's not what it was intended for. Uh, but but is there some middle ground in there? Number three, I would do an independent audit. Uh, I would hire outside to do an independent audit of the athletic department, find out what it's doing well, what it's not. Um, if there need to be personnel changes, um, performance improvement plans, stuff like that. Uh, number four, I had doing something with hiring a, a whiz-bang customer service person or, or, or team of them. Make your customer service like Chick-fil-A or Disney. You know, pick your... Pick your place there to where you're not getting, you know, season ticket holders for for lack of a better word, ghosted's not the word. But you know how people won't renew yeah. tickets after 40, 50 years, and they never hear from the school. Um, I, I would have a first class customer service experience, uh, starting from what the fans get in the stadium, starting from being a lot more proactive with all your ticket holders and former ticket holders and building that base up. And then whatever's left, I would put into a deck at Hawkins field. Well, number three is my favorite one of yours. Uh, that's where we have failed miserably in the past. Uh, going through the experience I just went through at Clemson, where we were given carte blanche to do what we wanted to do. We were, we were in the room with all the recruits where they feed them before the game how we were treated, we were picked up on a bus from where we parked, brought in, brought, then transferred to a golf cart to take us to the recruiting where, where you eat. Vanderbilt, the only thing I know they do, and maybe I'm wrong, I may miss something here, they do send some golf carts out to the tailgate area. To, you can ride up to the stadium if you need a ride and that type of thing, which is fine. But there were so many people every step of the way coming into the ball game. they were asking if they can help you. You didn't have to seek them out. They were asking you, you, you need anything? You know where you're going? You know what you, where, who are you with? And this, it was 
unbelievable customer service, unbelievable. And that's where we have failed miserably. Well, and I think you get that in pockets here and there. Like, I know th- this isn't just a bash everything at Vanderbilt thing, but no, no, I, I think, you know, and I, I told a story of a few weeks ago. My, my wife took my kids to a game and my son got sick and was just throwing up all over everything. They had a couple ushers that came over right away and went above and beyond to help yeah, them out. Are- I, I think, yeah, but it's just not a, there's not a top down thing. I don't think they've ever sat down and said, Hey, how do we reimagine ticketing and customer service and be very intentional and purposeful in all that? Yeah. You know, again, going back to my experience this past weekend, there were co-eds and interns walking through the tailgate areas, handing out shakers, handing out signs, stuff for the kids. You know, have someone do that at Vandyville. Maybe they do. I don't know. I haven't experienced the Vandyville thing. I just usually get to the game in time to go to the game. but. I just felt like, man, you're as soon as you pull in, they've got you, and would you want to go back? Absolutely. Whether you're it's first time Clemson game or whatever it may be, it's one heck of an experience. And at Vanderbilt, forget the the losing, or whatever. We're in a situation to where we only have possibly twenty thousand fans that we can get into a football game right now. That's the most it's going to come. I thought Ole Miss, the crowd was better than I. I was so proud of our fan base. But that's the other thing, and I'm getting a little off the rails here. That's another thing that why we are it's tougher to come back at Vanderbilt. How many home games does Vanderbilt really play? <laughs> in in what it's sense? But we the non games. Yeah, so you got two, maybe three that are, are your is your crowd. Now, how do you think that makes those kids feel? You know, you got to play an entire schedule of either neutral site games, basically. A road game. No other team. You know, Missouri had 60,000 people there Saturday. You know, and, and, and people say Missouri's the 13th best team in the league, which I'm not sure of that. They lost by three and lost by four to Georgia and Auburn. So I'm not sure how bad they are. But at the same time, that's what I'm saying. The kids at Vandy, they don't even have a home field advantage. I'll never forget in 98 the year Tennessee won the mythical national championship. Clay Conjury was one of our captains, and we walk out for the coin toss, and he asked the referee, do I get to call the toss since we're the visitors? Oh, my. Yeah. I never will forget it. Because it yeah. was 39 in Tennessee and 2000 Vanderbilt. Which yeah, may be what it is in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are that fan base is already talking about checkerboarding the stadium and all kinds of stuff, and I'm, yeah. I'm guessing there's not a, a plan in place to – to deal with that, but uh, we could talk about that a while. You know, here's the thing. This is an idea I've had a while, and I think, goodness, if the athletic department's equipped to do anything, or it, it's this, because this is something it's passionate about. I think they should build some kind of, a, I don't know if it's a, an African-American sports museum on that campus or something. And, and look, obviously Vanderbilt is on the right side of history, with that, with Perry Wallace. It's a great story. They've done a great job of telling it. I think it's somebody that everybody's on board with. You could build some kind of museum on that campus. And then you, you could invite every school in town on a field trip to that place to visit it. You know, you spend a half day hearing the story. I think Candace would be terrific at leading that. Um, 
you, you give them t-shirts, you, you give them a meal, you, you could spend, it would take a lot of money, but Vanderbilt's got it. It'd be good PR for the school. You know, good goodness, I don't know how you start to build a fan base back, but I think that would be a good start is just getting local people interested. You, you could start making kids fans, you know, at age six or eight and whatever, and, and who knows? Because they're, they're going to need something. You, you go to games, I've been saying it for years, that fan base is old. Sure. It's getting older every day. But what you just mentioned is a wonderful idea. And to me, there was a guy that worked in the athletic department for a lot longer than I was there, 58 years, I think, Mr. Richard Baker, who they have no idea what he did for those players back in that day when they didn't have the access to things they do now. He was the guy, he was the grandpa they went and talked to. And he talked many of them off the ledge, so to speak. And they don't, they, they owe that man and his family a ton of gratitude. Yeah. Let's do the mailbag if you're ready. Let's do it. All right. The mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. This is from Raiders 1967. I will eliminate the first part of the question because we've answered that and go to the second part. How long will it take for Clark Lee to change the football culture? He he inherited at Vanderbilt with the challenges of NIL and the transfer portal that no prior Vanderbilt coach faced in addition to the academic and other challenges. Um, I would think when you say changing culture, that's a day-to-day thing. It happens, you know, you can wind up, and, and this is one reason why I don't think we'll get in the transfer portal much, uh, or at least the amount as we need to, because that can you, you can actually get a kid that you're not familiar with, and he can come in and spoil a locker room. He can be a cancer to a locker room. So I think that's the thing, Clark, reason why he wants to build it the way he wants to build it, is this slowly, day-by-day, build this culture. And as far as when it's complete, we're not going to know that day. It'll just happen. But I don't think it's going to take 10 years or even five years. I think uh, next year to me, next year and year four, you'll see a ton of difference in the culture and the winning. I really believe that. Yeah, my, my take all along is probably by the end of year three, maybe they shock somebody that they're not supposed to beat. Maybe they get one this year. I wouldn't rule that out, although I think the best opportunity is behind them. You know, I said this before the season, too. When people were asking me expectations, I think I said I want the number of wins plus games that they had a shot to win midway through the fourth quarter to be equal to five, and they're at four right now. So to me, they're they're getting. I know those blowouts. My goodness, those were ugly. Right. I think those completely affected fan perception of momentum. But if you go back to what I said before the season, they're pretty close to that. Right, and it would have worried me. Like I mentioned last week, if we'd have lost Saturday fifty to ten, then I would really be worried. But it's obvious yeah. those kids quit. If you if you know anything about football and competitive sports. Those kids never quit Saturday when they got behind fourteen nothing. There was a, there was a, they were teetering right there and they didn't do it, you know. And when when a couple of good things happen, they start realizing we're playing Missouri, we can beat Missouri. They don't have the belief yet that they can play with a Georgia or an Alabama. 
I think they do have believe they could have played with Ole Miss, which they did for a half. But when things started unraveling, you're right in the midst of this three-game gauntlet they were running. And then you got to understand you're tacking Missouri onto that without another off week. The off week comes after Missouri, which it would have been nice to have had the off week this past weekend, in my opinion. But the fact that we were, you know, a half a yard away from being possibly getting another 10 yards and being a field goal race to tie it or win that game, I was happy about that. Obviously not happy with the result, but very happy that we put ourselves in that position. Believe 22 says, I've lost some faith in Clark Lee. Assuming you are more optimistic, what are three good reasons to believe Clark Lee is ultimately going to be successful? Number one is he will stay the course. He's not going to let, and I'm not picking on this person, but he's not going to let non-believers or negative attitudes bother him. That's going to roll off his back. Number two, keeping Barton Simmons and keeping the key players from out of the portal. It's it's okay and fine with me if a kid wants to leave because of playing time. That's fine. But if you start the kids that are playing and starting and are key roles on this team start leaving, that's got that's the second thing that has to happen. And then the third thing is for the university to still pull on the rope the same direction and come through with what they're saying they're going to come through with. That's out of Clark's uh, control, but that had those three things have to happen. Okay, uh, Go Doors ninety four asked, "Do you think Clark will stick with his coordinators?" I don't think you'll have a change if there is any change on staff till the season's over. Um, now, could there be responsibilities on game day changed around? Absolutely. I've seen that just about in every staff I ever worked for at Vanderbilt. Some of them were never publicized. A lot of times you'd have a guy that all of a sudden he's calling the plays and he's in the press box or he's calling the plays and he's on the sideline and no one knows it. So that could happen for sure. But as far as changing, I'd be very surprised if it happened in the next four, uh, three, four games. All right. Vandy Fitz asks a long question. I'll shorten it to this. Um, does it strike you as odd that the play calling didn't seem adjusted to factor in what Mike Wright was good at as the quarterback on Saturday? Uh, I, I think we kind of answered that early. I felt like they were loading the box. And as soon as you come in, as soon as you see Mike Wright come in the game, you know, he's, you think he's going to run. So it's the old, the old reverse psychology. Well, we'll, we'll throw it with Mike instead or, Hand it off to the running man. Mike won't run it much. You know, maybe that was it. I don't know. I, I, I again, I felt there were some clunky plays in there, and I, I can't explain those either. But to me, if you're going to throw it, bring in seals. If you're not, <laughs> let's go ahead and try that RPO with Mike. My apologies. We did hit that early. We cover a lot of ground here. <laughs> Sometimes okay. I forget what we've covered and haven't. Um, <laughs> let's see. I like this one. Raiders 1967 again. Luke, you mentioned James Franklin got whatever he needed, whereas prior coaches were accountable for paper clips or post-it <laughs> notes. If Sloan, McIntyre, Donardo, or Johnson had gotten that support, could things have been different for them? Absolutely. As long as yeah, as long as the university again had jumped in. But but from the football standpoint and having a few more victories. Yes, anyone would benefit from having double the budget of what the previous coach was. Um, now, there's some coaches, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, that probably wouldn't wouldn't have mattered if you 
giving them a hundred thousand fans and whatever they wouldn't have they wouldn't have won. But we've had enough good coaches and especially good assistants at Vanderbilt to win football games. That's never been an issue. Never, never, never. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a question of my own based on that. Sure. Let's say each coach gets ten years and and they've reasonably got what they need. Okay. Who's the best? Rank these guys: Sloan, McIntyre, Donardo, and Johnson. Who would have had the most success in that order? Okay, I have to, I have to think about the time on that. You got Sloan, Donardo, McIntyre, and Johnson. Yes. Okay. First of all, McIntyre and Johnson were almost mirror images of each other in philosophy and. Character as a man, that type of thing. So those two together, absolutely, that's what you want. Donardo, I put more in the James Franklin category because he would not have stayed 10 years at Vanderbilt. If he'd had success, he was moving on. I mean, you saw it. We get beat the last game of the year, 65 nothing, and he gets the head coaching job at LSU. So he was not going to stay at Vanderbilt, win or lose. Hey, that's why I put him in the Franklin category. And then Sloan. Sloan would have still been at Vanderbilt. He would have stayed the 10 years and done very well, much like McIntyre and Johnson would have, but they wouldn't give him the money. Clay Stapleton fought for it, and the university said, no, uh, you can win. if you can win seven games, here's how it went down, and I know this for a fact. If you can win seven games with what we have, you, why do we need to spend more money? They were, In other words, seven's Man. good enough. Keep going to the Peach Bowl, and we'll be all be happy. So and then he was that. gone. <laughs> yeah, we well, thank you. Yeah. Okay, this is the last one from Hobo. Uh, what's your view of the current workplace atmosphere within the athletic department? Better, worse, or no change? And please elaborate. Football is as good as I've seen it, but I've been over there. So if you and I know an athletic department's the entire thing, but you know as well as I do, football is a massive undertaking it's a monster football is in better shape because of clark and because of uh i want to give ben coffin credit uh earl bennett some of they have done a better job reaching out to former players trying to get things where people are drumming up interest for the program all the time worried about x's and o's and trying to win football games as well and taking care of a football team and 110 athletes so that part of it fine the other part you know i still talk to probably 15 people that work outside of football i'm giving it may be more but um not much change there whether that's coming with the new facilities and then when you get in the new buildings and that type of thing i don't know I, i'm i'm hoping that'll happen because you know there's still some folks that just collect a paycheck Yeah, um, that's the last question in the mailbag. I got one that I've, I've got. I guess we could say this, but it's more timely to ask. Sure. What was your take on the Jerry Stackhouse extension? I thought it was – I had no problem if it's two years, and I don't know if it's two or three. I think you, you may know that it's three. I don't know. I understand that, that – all age-old argument is, okay, you've got to at least be able to tell the recruit, I'll be here your entire career. I mean, your entire time at Vanderbilt, I'll be your coach. So that, from that standpoint, I'm good with it. Um, 
I'll be honest with you, I would have waited until after this season because I think this season, we should this team, and I know you and I differ on this a little bit, this should be an NCAA bubble team. And by that, I mean we're talking win one or two in the SEC tournament, you get in type team, either that or better. Not any worse, not, not a repeat of last year where you're an NIT team for sure at best, but an NCAA team coming down to the last game or two you play. I think that's what we should be this year. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. I don't think they'll get there. I just think the league is that tough. But, I mean, the, stranger things have happened than if this team snuck into the NCAAs as, a, as an 11. Right. And I, and I think that's where they should be. And if you did that, then I do think you get should get the extension. But I would have waited one more year just from that standpoint. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a tough schedule in the league. The the league is just so so good top to bottom now. Well, it's maybe not, as good as I remember. You know the, I, I looked at this, Chris. I thought the, I felt I feel like the non conference schedule is very tough. They they've got the fourteen games. I think I've got them going. If I had to guess, nine and five, and I'd be happy with that because they have a. If you look at that, there's some really good teams in there. I don't know that I'd call it tough, but it's more challenging than a lot of theirs have been recently. I mean, there's some good games in there at Temple, Memphis, uh, St. Mary's, VCU. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, you've got your regular games that you should win, but you, you've got some games that, like the key games, like a VCU or whatever, it, then that's not easy for anybody, non-conference-wise. Yeah, the problem, and it, it comes out in the wash a little bit in your computer metrics, is you just aren't a lot of layup wins in the league. Right, like, It exactly. used to be, once upon a time, Vanderbilt might have, you know, fill in the blank. Well, they play them twice, well, they'll, they'll get those both, and they usually did. But yes. just the league this year, like even the, even the, the teams that are they're going to be playing in the Wednesday night game, whoever those teams are, uh, th- those are – Probably in IT caliber teams with enough wins and losses, or pretty close. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what expectations are. So, well, something I'm surprised at is these when you have a team of a bunch of transfers, the fact that you could make a mesh and play together and be good surprises me. It really does. Yeah, but everybody deals with that now. I know <laughs> everybody's in the same boat. Exactly. So, um, Luke, it's it's been great as always. Look forward to doing one again next week. Any ground we didn't cover here that's worth mentioning before we end the show? No, I always like to end it with this, and I, and I always speak to your board and our fan base. And listen, guys, it, ladies, everyone, it is tough. It's tough on me. You know, I leave a Clemson game where they've got total support, 88,000 people, come running on the field after the game as a tradition. And and then I listen to our team and pulling so hard after coming out of that atmosphere. I'm sitting there riding in the car on the way back, just wanting to win that game as much as anybody. And I want our fans to understand. Clark feels the same way. You may think because he's so cerebral and the way he talked to you after the game and his media that, you know, he's kind of vanilla, whatever they want to call him, all that silly crap. Don't think that. Clark lives and dies with what he's doing right now. And he wants as much as you do, and I don't care if you've given millions of dollars, 
or if you're just a casual fan, he wants it as much as you want it. So understand that you've got someone at the wheel that's doing everything you can. That has not always been the case, folks. So be glad you've got someone like that. Luke, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. See ya. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net and, of course, the Kendrick Group. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.